I just think sometimes, sometimes there's not a good answer. Sometimes maybe there's two wrong answers, but one is a little bit better than the other. Always choose the less wrong. Yeah. So why would two guys leave comfortable jobs, move across the country and start a business in an industry they don't know, a place they don't know, and could it be successful? We're Dale and Brian Carmi. Join us as we share our story and inspire you to become people of impact. Welcome to the Impact Without Limits podcast. How do you respond when storms are brewing? feel something coming, how do you react? Welcome back to the Impact Without Limits podcast. I'm Dale Carmi, sitting here with my brother, Brian Carmi. And um, yeah, we we had to face that question many times, but in in the, the position of our story here, we were coming out of summer and we had a very busy summer and the storm that was brewing was actually a calm. Yeah. So uh, we went from Going 100 miles per hour to September was the slowest month of business we had since the beginning of that year back in February when everything got started. So September is, is essentially one year after we arrived in Albuquerque. Was, so we're 12 was, months in. We had gone through a slow winter. Then, like you were saying, a busy spring and summer and feeling like things were clicking. And we were just realizing of this thing in our business called seasonality, which when we left Ohio, like we understood the seasons there, I think at least my expectation, I think yours as well was, it's it was just warm. year round, year <laughs> round warm. business. It was the desert. Uh, yeah. So we didn't really see it coming. All of a sudden we're in September and the phone's not ringing. We were finished up the jobs we had in, in, in August. And it's like, Oh, you know, w- w- what's going on? What do we do? And, um, Look, storms you're not always prepared for. And so what what's going to define you and what's going to define um, your business or your life is how you respond when these storms hit. And in this case, we had a little help. Um, we had a gentleman uh, we talked about it before, Eli, who was our, our salesman. And he came to us with what, Brian, I, I really thought was a crazy idea. It was insane. And he, he came in and he said, guys, um, I think we should get a booth at the New Mexico State Fairgrounds and sell, uh, try to sell the Forevalon there. Now, growing up in Ohio. I, I had know, never been to a state fair. I, I, had, I think I was at the uh, Columbiana uh, Fairgrounds once when I was in high school. That was it. And. You know, I'm thinking cows and horses and pigs and sheep and maybe um, a tractor pull. Yeah, maybe tractor pull things like that. And, I, and I'm not really thinking this is a good place for us to try and sell artificial turf. But I'll tell you what, Eli was pretty confident in this idea. He was pretty persistent in what he was, um, you know, trying to convince us of. And so he keeps coming back to us with this idea: we got to get booth space at the fairground. So you know, we finally said, "All right, Eli." Go go out, find out what the cost, cost. What's the cost going to be? Let's start there, and, and let's see. You know, you know what trade shows were usually thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars, something like that. So, you know, if this is about the cost of a of a trade show, maybe it would make sense. 
And what Eli came back with uh, shocked us. It was going to be a cost of over $20,000, <laughs> which was probably yeah, more was, than either of us had taken that year yeah. uh, as, as income. Um, and it, we, it, it was just, it was like, Eli, this is silly. It's ridiculous. Uh, th- this is not one. Not, not only do we not think it's a great idea that we're not going to be able to sell turf there. I certainly not going to spend 20 grand of money that we really don't have to go down and try this idea that we don't think is going to work. But what did Eli do? He, he, he persisted. Yeah. And I think there's actually a good lesson here in, in leading from a position perhaps where, you, you know, you're Eli wasn't the decision maker in our company, but his confidence and his persistence and, and the way he approached it, he led us to this decision and he didn't do it in a way where, you know, he stomped his feet and demanded said, I know best. This is what I'm going to do. He realized as a salesman, his job mm-hmm. was to sell us on the idea, and he did it well. And what do we say? What is sales? It's the, the transfer, transfer of, of belief. belief. And he spent some time, and he worked at it, but he ultimately transferred his belief over to us. But he did the elbow grease to go with it, right? Yeah. He did the work. He was finding out uh, you know, different ways we could do it. And he, he came up with you know some idea for trading some turf installation, Um for an area at the fairgrounds in exchange for booth space. Um, he was, you know, convincing us of, you know, why it was going to be there. He was getting numbers on how many people were going to be coming through and the exposure we would get. And he was, you know, giving us, he was one, taking away the obstacles and two, giving us the painting, the picture of what it would be. Um, and I think that was important. And, and the one thing I'll give us credit for um, was, well, maybe a couple of things, but one as the business started to slow down, it, it's easy to think, wow, we don't have a lot of business right now. We better pull back and stop spending money. Just pull back on the advertising. Uh, yeah. you know, and we didn't have that mentality. Our mentality was we need to generate more business. So as it slows down, it's actually the time to invest more in our business. And so we had that mentality, but we were still limited. You can't invest what you don't have. Right. So we had to get creative in how to do that. And then two, um, you know, we were, we were humble, humble enough, or maybe pliable enough to, to listen to somebody that had an idea that wasn't ours, right? Sometimes as a business owner, you think you're the only one that has the right idea. And Eli had enough belief and perseverance and, and we, we were open to what he had to, to say. Yeah. We listened and we bought into his belief we gave him uh, enough room to to chase this idea, and when he came back with a solution, and his solution was, guys, all we got to do is install three thousand square feet of turf, and we got a booth space. Well, <laughs> three thousand square feet of turf isn't free, and there's a lot of effort to put it in. But uh, we were looking at the the bleakness of no other jobs. So it's like, well, we're not doing anything else. Let's do it. And, you know, we'd, we'd been down this road before. We put the 1,000 or 1,500 square feet in the museum home yep. back in Tucson, which didn't play out too well for us, but we'd done that. And um, so, okay, here we go. So we we, we ordered grass. We, we got it in. We're, we're down preparing this area. And it was right by the entrance as you come into the fairgrounds. I remember at least one of the entrances, there's multiple entrances, but you come in, it was the area right to the left. There was uh, the curb, 
a sidewalk and the grass in between like the sidewalk and the curb. And then there was some landscaping, some rocks or something behind that. And, um, <clears throat> well, a, that's a big remember, area. <laughs> right. When we went down to see it the first time, it was like five or 6,000 square feet. We We're like, what is going on? And so we got creative with design, right? We pulled in uh, a curbing guy, uh, Steve, the oh, curb yeah, man. Steve, the curb guy. And we had, we divided the area into a couple sections. We did some xeriscaping or rocks to cut down on some of the area. Uh, but we were creative in coming up with a solution to fill this area. And, and it was, it was a great area near the main entrance. And, um, and, and, and look, there, there's always a story, right? There's always something that happens. So big project, probably I, I'm looking at this, Brian, at this point in time, this is the largest project we'd ever done. Yeah. Right. And we were doing it for free. And we're doing it for free. Um, and we get the turf in. We, we work all the base. We're rolling out the turf. We're installing it. And when we put the grass together, right, the, the, the grass is 15-foot wide rolls. Uh, you're doing a bigger area. You have to put pieces together, seam them together um, like you might carpet. And we're, we're doing the seam, and we can't get it to not be visible. We're, we're having trouble hiding the seam. And I remember just being down on it and it's like, you know, what's wrong? Why am I seeing this? Because we were pretty good at putting this stuff in at that time. And when we stepped back and looked at it, what'd we find? Well, is when we learned there's an, <laughs> there's dye lots. If you're familiar with fabrics or carpets or, you know, really any textile type product, um, they're done in batches and you can use the same color of green but it it's doesn't always look color. identical. And we had two different dialogues. And this was when and, we learned that. We didn't even know right. it existed. And in, and in this case, it wasn't even close. I mean, it was almost like the one roll had almost a little bit of a bluish hue and the other one was a little more greenish yellow hue. It was rough. And when we're sitting there, <laughs> I remember calling the guys at Ashland say, hey, I don't know what's going on, but we have two different colors of turf here and and as we talked through it that's when they explained the dye lots well technically they didn't know so they put <laughs> us on hold and they found out uh it was a new industry um but what are you gonna do make <laughs> it, it was, work it was time time for the uh, state fair so we were we were able to set up a booth there so we we kind of set up i don't remember we had a table and chairs or something and i think we set them up right on that seam to try and blend the, the the visibility or noticeability of that. And uh, and then we find out, and I hadn't even really thought about this, the state fair goes for something like 10 days. Two weeks, yep. Yeah, maybe two weeks. It starts midweek and goes through one weekend, the whole next week to the next weekend. And we had to have somebody there that entire time. And so now, not only did we put the... the um, turf in, invest that money, but we're paying Eli or we're investing our time or paying somebody else to be down there sitting there while the state fair is going on. People just walking in, walking out, doing whatever. Um, so there, there were, there were a couple curveballs there, but do you remember what the result was? It worked. We stayed in business. <laughs> it worked. I, I actually, um, I think when it was all said and done, we might have done a hundred thousand dollars of business out of that that show, right? That that fair. Um, people saw it. People loved it. People, uh, 
you know, filled out forms. We had sales calls for the next two, three weeks lined up. We were packed, sold jobs, and kind of helped bust us out of the, the September doldrums. And it was at a time, again, I mean, we needed it. You know, how do you manufacture business? I think the answer is, you know, and we, we kind of say this a lot, but it's, it's action. It's doubling yeah. down. It was like you, you, you just alluded to, Brian, not, it, it's easy to hunker down when the storm comes. It's easy to kind of like curl up and, and, and dip your shoulder and try and absorb the blow or protect yourself. And, and we didn't do that. We grabbed the money we didn't have, which was turf. We invested it. We, we went out, worked the show, and we created our own opportunities, which you know, led to a lot of business and what got us through the fall. Yeah. And if you did it, I mean, you, you said a hundred thousand dollars worth of business, which was a ton for us back then. But if you looked at the amount we invested to get that and you know, that probably $20,000 worth of material and labor and time, was that worth it? Um, it's yeah. I mean, dollar for dollar, it, it's hard to say that I would always invest 20,000 to, to get a hundred thousand in revenue. However, there's also this element of inertia, right? Objects in motion tend to stay in motion and objects at rest tend to stay at rest. That's incredibly true for businesses too. And if we would have allowed ourselves to say, like you said, hunker down and said, well, it's a slow season. We're just going to wait. Then you've got this whole effort of, of inertia trying to, to go from rest into motion again and staying in motion was critical for us. And that was something we learned early on. I, I mean, again, Something we learned from Eli. Eli used that term "cash flow is king," and while I didn't always agree with his, you know, the way he used that, is incredibly important to realize that as long as you're moving, as long as there's money coming in, you can you can keep that ball moving forward. When you get to a point that you stop, like if we would have said we can't do this project unless we can find a way to be profitable on this project man, that would have stopped us so many times. So Yeah, and um, another thing that uh, to consider as a, as a business owner is not the first-generation business, what I'm going to call the second-generation business. So the first-generation business out of that show was somewhere in the neighborhood of $100,000 in sales. And yep. I don't remember exactly, but you know we had enough jobs gen- generated somewhere in there. So what's the second-generation business? Well, second-generation business is – People that maybe saw you at that show got introduced to the idea, but don't act on it until a later date. Maybe maybe somebody comes back in uh, next spring, January, February, because they remember seeing you there, and now's the time they're ready to go. Um, second generation business is also people that see the work that we sold at, in that show, because every job we do is a form of advertising that reaches a whole new group, a whole new neighborhood, a whole new family And uh, I think sometimes we can be very short-sighted in business looking at the direct cause and effect. I did this, I got that, and we don't realize it doesn't necessarily stop with that first generation of work that comes on and on and on uh, and continues to build. And like you said, you create that momentum, you create that movement, and that carries you through. So that was... um, you know, we had over our time, we had a lot of different storms and it's just kind of funny. We call that one a storm because it was the calm, but we had to get through it and, and it was great getting through. And, and 
none of this stuff happens in a vacuum, right? I nope. mean, this, this isn't like life's going on. Yeah. We're dealing with, like we said, this, we had had a decent string of business through the spring and summer, but we were reinvesting everything back into our business to make it happen. Personally, we were still short on cash and, and I don't know how much you want to get into no, it, but there was go. a specific scenario <laughs> that you went through. So it, it was, it was right during this time. I actually think I'm trying to remember in my, my mind, I could picture it. Um, and I think I was sitting in the car driving back from the state fairgrounds and I get a call and it is from an attorney. That's never a good thing. That was an attorney back in Ohio um, telling me that uh, the bank was going to be foreclosing on my home in Ohio. It was like, talk about a pit in your stomach. So uh, what do you do? Uh, and, you know, the big question, why were they foreclosing on the home? Well, probably has something to do with the fact they didn't make the house payments for like six months. <laughs> but there were decisions to make. And I look, I'm not saying that was the right decision because that was a debt I owed that I needed to pay. But I had choices to make. I could make that house payment and not build my business, not put money into advertising, not put money into building the team. And uh, I'm, I'm quite certain had, had I made a different decision, our business would not have grown the way it did and we wouldn't be where we are today. So that was, that was a choice we had to make. And, you know, Brian, your family, my family, we, we both made sacrifices. You know, we talked about, uh, you know, your van getting repossessed one time. Well, how come your van got repossessed? Well, because you didn't pay, <laughs> didn't pay the bill because we were putting the little bit of money we had elsewhere. So I called, um, I called the attorney back and, and, um, it's kind of like, hey, what's going on? And he said, well, we're repossessing your home. And um, if you can make all your back payments, um, you know, bring them all current, you're good. If not, we're going to continue with this. And, um, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't think the guy was very kind, very rational. Repo men but usually aren't kind. They're not supposed to be. And I'm trying to explain my situation and that we're going to get the money and could you work with me, you know, make smaller payments and get there? And he said, well, you should have been making smaller payments all along. And I'm like, okay, I get that. But here we are. Isn't there a way to get out of this and work through it? And the answer was yes, pay everything that's past due. And I think it was something like, I'd say probably five or $6,000 we had to pay. And we just didn't have the money. And if we did have the money, um, I wasn't going to put it on that because that would have started our business. Yeah, I actually, I remember that. I remember sitting in the office having that conversation and, and whatever the number was, we looked at it and said, well, yeah, we, we could make this payment. We could make this happen. And I think, you know, you spent some time thinking about it and you came back and said, look, if I make this payment, it doesn't change the situation, right? It we're gonna gets have us to keep- right back into this spot. And in order for us to move this business forward, we're better served to use not just this amount of money, but then the money of the future payments to, to reinvest, uh, for our families to, to survive. And then also to, to reinvest back in the business. And I mean, you can look at it and say the money we spent on that New Mexico state fair, um, buying the turf, the the labor, it could have easily gone to that house that would have kept the house going, but 
it was a decision that we, you yeah. really, you had to make. And, and I'm thankful for the, the perspective yeah. you had there. And, and, and look, it, it was a tough one because this isn't just a house. It was the house uh, my dad had bought um, at that point, you, you know, what, 25 years earlier, back in, I think, 1976, he bought it. Um, so it was, it, to me, it was like that last piece of something from my dad I had to hold on to, and and that was now gone. Um, but it was also a gathering place for our families when we were in Ohio. It was a home on the lake. We all used to go there. And Lori and I had bought it from my mom, you know, uh, back probably about four or five years before all this happened. And we had put it up for sale when we moved, but it just didn't sell. The market fell out. We had borrowed money, you know, um, we had over leveraged the house to get a little bit of money to get started in business. And it just got us to the place we were at. And it wasn't a great place and it, not an easy decision. I just think sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes there's not a good answer. Sometimes maybe there's two wrong answers, but one is a little bit better than the other. Always choose and, the less wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, not paying the house wasn't a good answer, but it was, um, it headed us down the right road. Now I will come back and say for everybody out there, um, when we got to a better spot in the future, um, I went back, I called the banks. Um, there were two different banks involved, the original loan and then the uh, the second loan we'd taken out on the house. Um, and the house had long been transferred and sold and everything, but I found out the amount of money I owed them that they lost in that foreclosure, and I paid it. And the, the bankers were kind of scratching their head, like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I need to know how much, you know, what was the shortfall? What did you guys lose? when you sold it and um, they're like, you're crazy. You, you're not, not supposed to pay this. I said, well, that was my responsibility. That was my debt. I, I want to clear it up. So um, I think that was maybe three or four years later, but we did close that out. So anyway, um, storms happen. So this, you know, the calm of the state fairgrounds was at the same time as the, the turbulent storm of, storm of yeah of losing the house and, and, you know, my dad's, my dad's home, our family home, but we got through it again. Sometimes you have to do things um, that are a little bit out of the ordinary to achieve something extraordinary. And I think we were able to do that. And I've, I'm looking here, we, we have the note from the book and honestly, Brian, I can't remember if you said it or I said it, but we had this quote. It says, sometimes God needs to strip away more than we ever expect to get us where we need to be and maybe more importantly, where he needs us to be. And I know that was a time in my life. And there were other ones where God just stripped things away to get down to the core, get me to the core of who I am, of what's important, of where my values are. And uh, it's not always fun, but it's a, it's a process that gets us where we need to be. So uh, obviously, you know, this is, us sharing our story, but the idea is that hopefully all of you or some of you can see and hear yourself or put yourself in similar situations. Not I pray that none of you are in a spot where you're in the middle of getting a house foreclosed. But you know what? What are the takeaways? What can you learn from this? And I think the 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 first one I would say is when when you sense the storm coming, you can either kind of hunker down and, and hide from it, or you can 
turn and face it and go into it. So there's a, there's a gentleman, Shola Richards, that we've heard speak that talks about being the buffalo, not the cow. And it, when a storm's coming, the buffalo actually turns and faces the storm and walks into it so they can get through it faster, where the cow kind of hides and, and ends up spending more time in the storm. Um, so one, you know, face it head on, go into it. Uh, like we said, an object in motion tends to stay in motion. That's true of, you know, physics, but it's true in business. If you're continuing to move your business forward, if you're at a spot where business is slow, that doesn't mean you pull back and stop advertising. Maybe you have to get more creative. Maybe you have to find other ways to do it, but you need to be doing something to spur that business coming in and to generate new business, not just sit there and wait. And then just the idea of the confidence and the impact Eli's confidence had on us. He's able to transfer his beliefs to us. Um, a lot of times in life, the biggest impact you can make is by being confident, being, um, you know, having faith and belief in your idea or what you have. And, and Eli's um, faith and belief in that business was big enough to persuade us and then cause a, a big impact in our business. And I also want to comment, I noticed we're, we're being kind of hard on cows. We've got baby in the cow. Now we've got the <laughs> buffalo in the cow. And in a future one, we'll probably have to talk about the rhinoceros in the cow. But yes. the general consensus is don't be a cow. That is correct. Although I do love cows, love cows. especially <laughs> in the form of a ribeye or a hamburger. Uh, those are my favorite cows. So, guys, thank you for um, being with us on the show today. Hopefully there's something in these stories. These that we shared that you can pull away and apply to your life at home, at work and relationships, what have you. Uh, because we do, you know, we want to pour into others uh, the way others have poured into us. So one of the things that's very important to us is reviews. If we get um, current and active reviews from our listeners, it encourages other people to listen and increases our ability to make an impact. And if you're listening, if you just slide down to the bottom of the screen on the podcast, uh, there's just a little button there that says write a review. I'd, I'd ask you right now to just pause, click on that, um, give us a review, let let others know what you think, and and go ahead and share that with, with friends. Yeah, if, if this episode was good or if, if it made you uh, think of someone or a certain situation, you know, take the time just to text this episode to someone and, and share it with a friend. Uh, or, you know, obviously you can post it on social media with a link. That would be great as well. But look, our, our goal in this, if you listen today, it's obviously not to make ourselves look good <laughs> <laughs> or cows this look good. This is a rough one. Uh, but the idea is to hopefully create some impact and, and help others that are going through similar situations or, or in positions where, um, you know, some of our story can, can have a positive impact on them. So if you know somebody you think it would be impactful for, we'd love to have you share it with, with them. And uh, again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great week. This is the Fred Carmi reminding you that faith looks up, hope looks ahead, and love looks all around to see whom it can help. Good day.